Shalom Aleichem, Kinderlach. I'm going to share with you an amazing story. The Fiyatik Rebbe tells us in his famous Sefer HaZichroinus. The Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe's father, his name was Reboruch. Reboruch had a sister who was the aunt of the Alter Rebbe. Her name was Dvoraleya. The Alter Rebbe named his daughter the mother of the Tzibach Tzedek, named her Dvoraleya after his aunt, Dvoraleya. Dvoraleya, the aunt of the Alter Rebbe, was a very learned woman. She was a Lamdanis. She knew how to learn Gemara. And for sure she learned a lot of Sforim. And she later married a famous, famous Rav. His name was Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak from the city of Tsharei. Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak was a big gone, and he was uh, one of the secret Talmidim of the Baal Shem Tov. At that time, many of the Talmidim of the Baal Shem Tov uh, did not reveal to everybody that they were Talmidim of the Baal Shem Tov because there was a lot of misnagdim that didn't you know, want to talk to people that learned Chassidus. So he was one of the hidden tzaddikim. They were called the hidden tzaddikim of the Baal Shem Tov. And Dvorelei married him. That's how she became close to the Baal Shem Tov also. This story that I'm going to tell you is about how Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak was born. His father's name was Yaakov Kerpel, and his mother's name was Tzipah Bracha. Yaakov Kerpel and Tzipah Bracha didn't have children for many years, and then when they started having children, the children died right after birth, and they realized that they can't have any children. They were a very, very nice couple, and they liked each other, and, but they were poor. Yaakov Kerpel would make a living from being a peddler. A peddler means somebody who goes from village to village, he leaves his house on Sunday, and travels through the villages around the city of Charei. He lived in Charei, but there were villages around Charei, and he would travel from village to village, he would try to sell door to door, go from one door to the next door, selling all kinds of stuff, like buttons, needles, scissors, paper, whatever people needed. Yaakov Kerpel was also a big Amoritz. You guys know what an Amoritz is. Somebody doesn't know how to learn anything. He didn't even know olive base. In those days, there were many Jews like that. Simple Jews who were big Amaretz, big Amaratzim. They didn't know anything. They didn't even know olive base. But they were very, very firm Jews. They went to shul every Shabbos, every day. And they tried to put on tefillin, but they didn't know how to daven. They would just sit there. They would memorize sometimes Shema and Shemona Esrei, or parts of Shemona Esrei. And they would say it by heart because they were able to memorize it. Somebody would read it for them and they would memorize the words and that's how they knew how to say it by heart. But they couldn't read. It's not like today. A Jew who doesn't know olive base and doesn't know how to read is not a Jew that comes to shul. These are the kinds of Jews, unfortunately, who are going to a baseball game on Shabbos morning. Instead of going to shul, they go to a baseball game because they don't even know what Shabbos is. Anybody who comes to shul today, they know how to daven. But in those days, it was very different. 
Everyone went to shul. Everybody wanted to do mitzvahs. Everybody wanted to be close to Hashem. But some Jews just didn't have a chance to learn because they were so poor. Their families were so poor that they couldn't send them to a cheder. And they never learned how to read. Even though they went to shul every Shabbos and they ate kosher and kept Shabbos and were very excited to do achnosas orchim and to help another Jew. But they felt very bad that they're amaratzim. They don't know how to read. Yankov Kerpel was one of those Jews. Yankov Kerpel, as I said, would travel every Sunday. He would leave the house Sunday morning and wouldn't come home till Friday because he would go a whole week trying to sell stuff and make some money. When he would come home on Friday, he would first, the first thing he would do, before he went home, he would go to the Rav of the city of Charei and would give him money, 10% or whatever amount of money, to give to tzedakah. The Rav had all the pushkas of the tzedakah and people were able to put in tzedakah into the pushka and he would first give tzedakah from all the money he made that week and then he would go home and prepare for Shabbos. One day, Yankov Kerpel is traveling from city to city, from village to village, trying to make some money. And he saw there's another Jew also traveling. Maybe he's a peddler too. His name was Hirschleib. And they decided, you know, it's better to go together. Rather than travel alone, it's not always safe. So they travel together. On the way, while they were tra- walking from village to village, Yaakov Kerpel sees that this Hirschleib is mumbling with his lips. He's saying things. He's asking him, what are you talking about? You're talking. You're saying things. And Hirschleib said to him, oh, yeah. Um, you know, when I, when I walk, I just say words of Mishnah. I say words of Tehillim, of Tanakh. Uh, things that I remember by heart, so I would be able to always learn Torah, even when I walk. What does it say in the Shema? You have to learn Torah when you sit at home. When you walk on the road, you should also learn Torah. So he says, I, I learned, I memorized many Mishnayas and many Psukim from Tanakh, and I'm able to say and, and learn while we walk. Yankif Kappel was very impressed with that. Yankov Kerbal couldn't even read. But here's a Jew, not only knows how to read, but he's memorized so much Torah in his head. So once they were walking together, and Yankov Kerbal began to cry. Hirschleib asked him, why are you crying? He says, because I feel so terrible. You, I see you, I'm so jealous of you. You're able to learn, you're able to read Psukim, you're able to to daven, and you're able to remember so much Torah in your head. So whenever you walk, you travel, you, you're never without Torah, you're always learning Torah. I wish I was like you. So Yishleib says, so why don't you do it? He says, oh, what can I do? I don't know, I don't even know how base. I go to shul, I memorized Shema and a few other things, and that's all I do because I don't, I can't read. Yishleib said to him, listen, Yaakov, don't cry. I will teach you. When we finish traveling, we're going back for Shabbos, I'll go with you to Charei. Although I'm not from Charei, I'll stay in Charei for a while. And I will teach you every day. I'll teach you Olive Bays, then Comets Olive and then how to read, 
and I'll even begin to teach you how to understand what you're saying. We're going to learn Chumash and Tanakh, and I'm going to teach you the Torah. It'll take a while, but, you know, you don't have to cry. You can learn. When, when Yaakov Kepler heard this, he was so excited. He was so filled with semcha and joy. He said, thank you, Hashem, for bringing me this guy, Hirsch Leib. He's offering to teach me for free. So, at the end of the week, they went back to Chai. It was getting Shabbos. Uh, Hirsch Leib decided that he's going to stay in a shul. Uh, he's not going to anybody's house. If people invite him, he said, no, I'd rather eat here. Nobody knew how he lives, where he has money from to eat. That was a mystery. Nobody knew much about him anyways, nothing. He was like very, very mysterious. Nobody knew where he came from, who he is, how much learning he knows. He was like very, very for himself. And he stayed in shul. People invited him on Shabbos to come to the house to eat. He would say, no, 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 I'd rather eat my own food. And so nobody bothered him because this Hirschleib looked like a very simple man. So the guy that wants to stay in shul, a simple Jew, okay, let him stay in shul. Nobody cared about him. Nobody found it unusual that he doesn't want to go anywhere. They let him stay in shul and nobody paid attention. He told Yaakov Kerpel, I'm going to teach you but you have to keep it a secret. Nobody has to know that I learned with you. Only your wife, Tzipa Brocha, she's allowed to know. And they started learning. And slowly but surely, Yaakov Kerpel learned Aleph Beis. He learned how to read. He even learned some meanings of the words. And slowly, slowly, Yaakov Kerpel, his mind opened up and he was able to read Chumash. And he learned Chumash. And he learned the Nevi'im. And then he learned a little Mishnayis. He became like a little bit learned. A little bit of a Talmud Chacham. Now when he was traveling and walking from village to village, he also was able to think words of Kedusha, holy words. In the beginning when he learned with, with the Rebbe Hirschleib, he would memorize the Shema. And when he walked from town to town, he would like go through in his head the words of Shema. When he knew the Shemona Esrei, he would go through in his head the words of Shemona Esrei also. And so as he learned more and more, he memorized Chumash and Tanakh, he would go, whenever he traveled, he would go through in his head and with his mouth, he would say, because he wanted to be like Hirschleib, that never stopped learning. Now, Hirschleib said to Yaakov Kerpo, there must be more Jews like you in this town that don't know how to read. I'd like you to introduce me to them. I want to meet them because I'd like to teach them too. And Yaakov Kabbalah says, of course, a lot of us here that don't know even how to, to read the olive base. So I'll make sure they come and meet you. And very soon, Hirschleib had about 15 Talmidim, all of Jews that were very good hidden. They wanted to daven. They wanted so badly to know how to daven. They, they, they used to do mitzvahs with such excitement, but they didn't know how to learn. They didn't know how to read. They didn't know olive base. But they would go to shul every day. And, and whatever they knew by heart, they would say over and over again because they loved Hashem very much. But 
Hishleib said to them, you don't have to be an Amoretz. I can teach you how to read and how to understand Chumash and you can become uh, like a Talmud Chachem. They were so excited because they never imagined that somebody would one day come and teach them. They knew that little kids learn Aleph Beis, but that adults would be able to learn Aleph Beis. If you're an adult and you don't know Aleph Beis, they thought you will, you will never know Aleph Beis until you die. Here, this Hirschleib says, no, 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 I'm going to teach you all Aleph Beis. And they all came to Shul every day. For a few hours, he taught them all Aleph Beis and how to read. And slowly but surely, they began to learn. Some learned Chumash already, some learned Mishnayis, and he kept teaching them. And he didn't take any money from anyone. He would just stay in Shul in his free time when, when people were at work and he didn't teach these people. He would just sit in Shul and learn all day. He would learn with a great Geshmak you know, and eating shul, he didn't left the shul. Once the Rav of the city of Tsharei heard that there's this man, Hirschleib, nobody knows who he is, where he came from. He's this mysterious man, this unusual person, and he sits in the shul, some little shul there, and he's teaching these ignorant people. Some of these ignorant people had long white beards, but they never learned olive base. And he's teaching them. The Rav was very impressed with that. And he went to visit the shul, to see for himself how this man, Hirsch Leib, he doesn't know who he is. Nobody knows who he is. Nobody ever, ever found out. Does he have a wife? Does he have a family? Nobody knows. But he's just sitting there every day in the shul, teaching these Jews uh, who, who don't know anything, and he's making sure that they're not, they don't remain amaratzim. They become learned people. He went to the shul himself to watch this. And he's watching. And as he walked into the shul, Hirschleib, the teacher, got up right away from his seat. And everybody together with him, the Talmidim, also stood up. And, and the Rav said, sit down. I want to thank you, Hirschleib, for doing this for our community. That all these Jews that don't know anything, you're teaching them. And he kissed his hand. And then he said to these Jews that were the Talmidim of Yeshleib, you know, you remind me of a marshal. There was once a king. That king was a very special king. Everybody wanted to see the king. And one day the king decided that everybody who wants can come three times a day. There's once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and once at night where you have a chance to come to the king and ask whatever you want. And so the people would come every day. Oh, your majesty, I need a doctor to help me with my leg. Otherwise, oh, your majesty, I need some money to, for a loan so I can pay off my debts. Everybody had their requests, and the king listened to everybody, and he helped them. But there was a group of people in the country that they couldn't speak. They were mute. Right? When people can't speak, some people, chas v'shalom, they, they, they don't have speech, they can't speak. So they couldn't speak. So they knew that the king said anybody can come to the king and ask whatever they want. But they can't speak, so they can't go to the king. And it bothered them a lot. They were like really upset. They had so many questions they wanted to ask the king. And they can't, because they can't speak. And every day, every day they were thinking, what would I ask the king today? Oh, I would ask the king this today, and the next day another thing. They all had like all kinds of things they needed to ask the king, but they can't. Until one day there was a doctor that came to town. 
and he heard about this group of people that can't speak, and how they, they can't go to the king, even though they want so badly to go to the king. So he felt very bad for them, and he worked very hard, gave them medicine, medicine, all kinds of different types of things, until he was successful, and they were able to speak. And when they were able to speak, they were, ah, oh, they had so much to ask the king, because for all these years that they couldn't speak, they had all these requests that were like, they couldn't ask, but it stayed in their hearts. They remembered everything. So when they went to the king for the first time, they poured out everything that was on their hearts and telling the king, oh, we have this question and that question and that question. And finally, they were able to talk to the king. And the king was able to help them. Says the Rav, the same thing with you. Every Jew is told by Hashem, you can come and talk to me three times a day. Ask me whatever you need. I listen. I listen to you. But then he says, you, you simple Jews, you can't speak. You didn't know how to daven. You didn't know the, even the olive base. You were like these mute people that can't talk. You couldn't go to the king and speak to him. You sat in shul and you really wished you could daven. And you were jealous of everybody who was davening. You were watching everybody. And I saw tears coming from your eyes where you were so sad that you couldn't daven. But now, the big doctor, Hirschleib, came to town and he cured you. Now you can all daven, you know how to read. And then the Rav left. These Talmidim of Hirschleib, the group of Talmidim grew every day. And they became very close to Hirschleib. They loved him so much. He wouldn't, wasn't only teaching them how to read, and Chumash would also give them advice about how to live life. He, was, uh, he really, really helped them a lot. Y- Yaakov Kerpel, specifically, especially, was very close to Hirschleib. Hirschleib would tell him how to live his life and what to do. And once he told him, you know, Yaakov Kerpel, there's a mitzvah to give 10% of everything you have to tzedakah. Yaakov Kerpel didn't know that. And he told him, listen, the first time when you start giving tzedakah from your money, you look at all the money you have, and first you give a fifth, not a tenth, a fifth, like 20%. This is twice twice the 10%, right? Twice a tenth. And then you put it into the business, you, you make money, and then you give every year 10% of everything you earn. And he told them that it says in the Gemara that if you give 10% of your money, it's Hashem gives you, makes you successful in business, and you make a lot of money. And that's what happened. Yaakov Kerpel started giving 10% of his money, and he gave it very joyfully together with his wife, and they started seeing their business grow and grow, he became quite wealthy, quite rich. Now, something incredible happened that changed Yaakov Kerpel's life. Near Charei, there were different villages. One of those villages, there lived a Jew. Maybe he was the only Jew in town. His name was... Gershon Yitzchak. Gershon Yitzchak was also a big Amoritz. Didn't know anything. He had a lot of children. And 
his job was that he rented from the Poritz, from the village. There was a very rich Poritz, an old Poritz, a very big anti-Semite, a very cruel person. But he was able to rent from him the right to, by that all the rivers that were in the village, he had the right to go fishing there. And he would sell the fish to all the people in the village. It was yet to pay the, the poets a certain amount of money every month. So you would be allowed to go and catch fish in the rivers that, that belonged to the poets. He also had on the side a, a store where he sold all kinds of stuff, clothes and stuff that people need. And he also had a bar. A bar where people came and bought vodka and beer. They drank. The goyim would buy all kinds of drinks. They would come and drink every night in his bar and he would make money from that. <clears throat> he had children and his children were very ignorant. He never hired the malamit for his children. So his children remained totally amaratzim. The old parrots from whom Gersh and Yitzchak rented uh, the right to, to, to fish from his ponds and his rivers, got so old that he decided to retire, and he gave all his land and all his businesses to his son. The son was a very good person. He loved Jewish people. He was a very nice and soft person. But something happened that made the life of this Jew, Gershon Yitzchak, very, very miserable. A very, a new Galach came to the village who was a very bitter anti-Semite. He hated Jews. And he started every Sunday speaking against the Jews in the church. And he would tell the Jew, the Goyim, you know, there's one Jew in our village and he has a bar. You can't go to his bar because you're giving him parnasa, you're buying stuff from him and making giving him money and you shouldn't give it to him because they hate our religion and you shouldn't go to his store either. The Goyim stopped going to his store and they stopped going to his bar and they didn't buy from him anymore. He lost a lot of money. And then something else happened. Even the business that he had with the pirates, that he was allowed to go fishing in the rivers and the ponds of the pirates, suddenly the fish didn't show up. He put a net in the, in the river and the fish didn't come up. It's, it looked like as if the fish also listened to the speech of the Galach and decided not to go into Yitzhak Gershon's net. Of course, that's a joke. But, but for some reason, he wasn't able to catch fish in the rivers and the ponds. And so he had no money. And when you have no money, you can't pay the rent. So first month, he couldn't pay the rent because he didn't have enough money. So he went to the younger parts, who's now in charge of all the property, and told them, please give me a little bit of an extension. Give me a little time, maybe give me another month, and then I'll maybe be able to pay you back. But right now, I had a very hard month. I, I lost a lot of money. The person said, sure, no problem. Another month goes by, another month goes by, and Yitzhak Gershon can't pay. One day, the old parts, the big, big, hateful anti-Semite, started, told his son, I'm going to look over the books, see what, who pays, who doesn't pay, how much money comes in. 
And he looked in the books and sees that the Jew, Yitzchak Gershon, hasn't paid his rent for the last three months. He flew into a rage and he said, oh, 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 hey, uh, we can't let this happen. And what did he do? He called Gershon Yitzchak to his mansion. He said to him, listen, I'm giving you a few days to get all the money that you owe me. And if not, I'm throwing you and your wife into a prison and I take all your property. Everything you own, I'm taking away. Look, it was the middle of the winter then. It was very, very freezing cold outside. And Yitzhak Gershon hoped that maybe some Jews travel through the village. He's going to ask them to help him with a loan so he can pay off his debt. But because it was so freezing cold and so much snow that there were no travelers. So he was the only Jew in the village and he didn't know what to do. In the meantime, the Galach, this, this anti-Semite, the Galach, who hated Jews even more than the Poritz, <clears throat> he heard about this Gershon Yitzchak and how the Poritz yelled at him and threatened to put him and his wife in jail. So he also got involved and he told the Poritz, you know what? What are you going to gain from putting the, the Gershon Yitzchak and his wife into the prison? He's not going to get you the money. If you put him in prison, for sure he can't get you the money because he's going to be locked up in a prison. How is he going to get the money for you? I have a better idea for you. Take one of his children as a hostage. Take him away. And this will make him work very hard. He will sell everything he has just to get his son out of captivity from prison. And then the Galach continues, said, and if the Jew doesn't come up with the money, you know what would happen? You poets should give that child to me, and I will shmad him. You guys know what shmadding means? Is to take a Jew and make him into a Christian, a goy. Tell him to go over to their religion, to the church, and become a goy. And I'm telling you, this, their parents will be so upset. It'll make him crazy. And they'll go and try to find all the money that they need. And they'll give you the money. And the Galach even said, you know, he has many, many sons. I like that David, the 12-year-old. He's like smart. He's great. Hey, I'd love to make him into a Christian. So let's take this kid. The poets listened. And one day... Soldiers came into the house of Gershon Yitzchak. They grabbed David and they took him to the Paritz's house. Gershon Yitzchak and his wife began to cry and scream. Oi, our David, our David. And they didn't know what to do. Where are they going to take money, so much money, to get his son David out of captivity? In the meantime, the Paritz sends a message to Gershon Yitzchak and his wife. And he told them to come to his mansion. And he started yelling at them. And he said, if you still wait with bringing the money, I will not only tell, take your son and, put, and put, give him to the Galach, and he will force him to become a Christian, but I will also take you and your wife, and you'll have to become my slaves. You'll become slaves to me in my house. And he said, you better come up with the money in the next few days or else... Gershon <clears throat> Yitzchak and his wife they started crying hysterically 
instead of begging the parents to please, please, not to steal their child. And he says, I'll do everything to get the money, but please give me back my son. The parents laughed at them and said, what? Are you crazy? You didn't pay me the money for so long? No, I'm taking your son because you owe me a lot of interest for the money that you owe me. And he'll be instead of the interest. And you and your wife, if you don't pay the money soon, I will take you as my slaves for the money itself, for the principal. And then he picked up his whip and started whipping them until they were bleeding and they had to run away from his house. They went home so broken. Oh, he's so pained. They didn't know what to do, where we're going to go. And then suddenly, they hear terrible things. They hear from the young poets that David was already taken by the Galach. And the Galach told David he must eat chazer. He, he tried to force him to eat pork, but he didn't want to. So the Galach started beating him. He beat him really hard, and David still didn't want to eat. The Galach beat him so hard until David fell down on the floor without any strength. He was bruised up everywhere. He couldn't move. And that's when the Galach left him alone and walked away. The young poet said, I found that out because I went to check out from the Galach what happened to David. That's what I found out. In the meantime, it says the young poet to Yitzchak Gershon and his wife, listen, now David is sick because he was beaten up so badly. So the Galach is going to have to leave him alone for a while. So you have a chance to work on your money. Go. Do whatever you can. The parents were a little bit happy that David is not listening to the Galach, but they were very hurt and very saddened of all the pain that their son is going through. Now, Gershon Yitzchak had an idea. What is he going to do? He knew Yaakov Karpel, who lived nearby in the city of Chare. Yaakov Karpel would come to his village from time to time to sell some of his goods to the Goyim. Yaakov Karpel had a lot of friends in the village because he would do business with them. So he thought, you know what? Yaakov Karpel can help me. So I need to go to Chare to speak to Yaakov Karpel. But the poet sent soldiers to watch Yitzchak Gershon and his wife so they couldn't run away from the village. They would have to stay. So they, he asked the guards, what should I do? I want to go to Chare so I can get the money to pay the parrots. So he told them, tell the parrots that you want to go to Chare and get the money. So he went to the parrots and the parrots yelled at him, no, you want to run away, I know you want to run away. So he told the poets, no, 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 no. You know what? You can take one of your guards and he can go with me to Chare. He'll watch over me. I won't be able to run away. And so the, the poets agreed. He went to Yaakov Kerpel's house in Chare and said to Yaakov Kerpel, this is my problem. This is the terrible situation I'm in. <clears throat> I lost all my money. And the poets, I couldn't pay my rent. The poets must have took my son, David, 12 years old, and then I gave him to the Galach, and the Galach is beating him. He's trying to make him become a Christian, to convert it to another religion. 
and I don't know what to do, I don't have the money. Yaakov Kepler heard this. He was like shaken. And he said to him, we'll give, wait one minute. He went to his wife and they talked it over and decided it was a lot of money. They're going to sell everything they own. Everything, everything. Everything they're going to sell and give him the money. But that wasn't enough money. He needed more than that. So they went and borrowed more money from other people in Sharei and they gave him till they had the entire money and gave it to him and they said, you go pay off and get David out of the Galah's house. So Gershon took the money and he went quickly to the Poritz's house. And before he went to the Poritz's house, he went first home to tell his wife that he has the money. But his wife told him in a very sad voice, I just heard that the Poritz had beaten David again. And he wanted him to eat Chazer Treif. And he didn't want to, so he threw him into a stable full of pigs, full of chazerim, live chazerim. And the, and the galah said, I am going to make David into a Christian no matter what. So they both started crying. Yitzchak Gersh and his wife, oi, 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 our son David, what's going to happen to him? So he ran quickly. Yitzchak ran first. He said, I'm going to the poet's now to pay off the debt. Maybe let us, or David, to come out of the galah's house. When he came to the Galah, he gave him the money. He says, okay, you and your wife don't have to be my slaves. Where's my son David? Can I have my son David back? And he said, oh, no, it's too late for your son David. I already gave him to the Galah. That's too late. You waited too long. Now he's, the Galah is going to do whatever he wants with him. So he started crying and crying. So the servants of the poets threw him out and they beat him. And he left the house of the poets. He, he called Yaakov Karpel. He went to Yaakov Karpel and said to him, look what's happening. Please help me. They don't want to give back my son David. Yaakov Karpel said, don't worry. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to the village. I know a lot of the people there. Yaakov Karpel went, talked to a lot of the people that he knew, the Goyim, that he did business with. And they all agreed with him. The poet is very mean and, and he's doing this. It's not right. It's not, it's not fair. He gave back all the money. Now they should give him back his son. And then Yaakov Karpel went to the young poets and said to him like this, I don't understand. Yitzchak Gershon worked so hard to get the money to pay off for your father. Now finally he got the money. And now he doesn't want to let him take his son back? Why, because he gave him to the Galach already? It's too late? What is the Galach going to do? Is he going to convince him to become a Christian? To convert to another religion? No, he's going to force him. You think that's right? And young Galach agreed, young, young Poritz agreed that this is not fair. He's going to try to do what he can do. And he talked to his father and finally convinced his father to tell the Galach he must give back David. And David was set free. Yaakov Kerbel took David, who was all bruised up. He lost a lot of weight. He looked very, very sickly because he was beaten so much because he refused to eat treif. He refused to convert and to shmat himself and he was willing to, to be hurt and whipped till blood came out of him. But even though he was an Amma Oritz, his father never taught him anything. But the, all these Jews in those days, even the Jews that didn't know how to read, had a very strong emuna in Hashem. They would, they would die, Al-Kiddush Hashem. They would not even think of Chas Shalom doing something which is against the Torah. Even a 12-year-old boy,
Yaakov Kerpel took David and brought him to his house to Charei, gave him good food, and tried to bring him back to his health. And then when he got healthy, he sent him away to Yeshiva in Barisov where he could learn Torah. Yaakov Kerpel lost all his money because he sold everything to save David out of the Galach's house. He had no money, many, many debts. But he was besimcha because he felt that he gave away all his money to save a Jewish soul. So he wasn't complaining. He didn't even tell people how bad his situation was, that he's suffering, that there's poverty, they don't have food. He didn't want anybody to know. He didn't want anybody to feel bad for them. He always was happy. He smiled. Even Hirschleib, who was the teacher of Yaakov Kerpel, also didn't know. Then one day, a stranger came to the city of Charei. His name was Reb Kohas. He was a Talmud of the Baal Shem Tov. And nobody knew who he was. Also one of those hidden tzaddikim, which nobody knew who he was. And he went to the same shul where Hirschleib was still was to stay. Hirschleib would stay in that shul and sleep there and eat there and daven there and learn there and teach his Talmudim. And Reb Kohas would hang out with Hirschleib. Nobody knew who this Rebkos was. Rebkos and Rebkos were talking. Turned out Rebkos had a message from the Baal Shem Tov to Hirschleib. The Baal Shem Tov said like this, there's a Jew in Charei, there's a very simple Jew, but he's a great tzaddik. He's done a huge mitzvah, an incredible mitzvah. And now, it's time to help him. Now, Yaakov Kerpel, after getting into such deep debt, also became very sick. He was so sick that the doctors thought that they can't help him anymore. He got very, very sick, every day sicker and sicker. So by the time Reb Kos came, the Baal Shem Tov had said that he was sending money to Yaakov Kerpel because it was decided in Shemaim because it is this enormous mitzvah, he sacrificed, gave, gave away everything he had to save a family and to save a boy from the Galach's house. He's going to become rich and he will have a son. You remember Yaakov Kerpel was then 63 years old. His wife Tzipa Bracha was 59. You know, know what it means to have a child at that age? It's quite old. So Reb Kos said, the Balshemtov gave me 150 rubles to give to Yaakov Kerpel so that he would use that to, to make a business. And, and Hashem promised to give him a bracha that he will be very successful, he become rich. And they will have a baby boy within the year. But Hirschleib said to Reb Kos, you know, Yaakov Kerpel is not going to agree to take the money. He doesn't like to take from people money. First of all, Hirschleib was surprised. I didn't even know that Yaakov Kerpel was going through a hard time. He never told me anything. But the Hashem knew everything, Baruch HaKadosh. And that's how he told Reb Kohas, and Reb Kohas told Reb Hirschleib. And decided together to go to Yaakov Kerpel's house and see, make sure that he accepts the 150 rubles. They went to his house and they told him, listen, this Reb Kohas is a good friend of mine. And he needs to, 
he has 150 rubles with him, but he doesn't want to travel with 150 rubles because they can be robbers stealing their money. So he wants to keep it safe in somebody's house. Would you, Yaakov Kerpel, please hold on to that money? And you'll have to use the money in the meantime for business, whatever you want. And when Ribkos comes back, you can pay him back then. At first, Yaakov Kerpel was, 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 Yaakov Kerpel was a little bit, you know, hesitant. He wasn't sure. I mean, it's a lot of money. I don't want to take responsibility. But they begged him and finally agreed. No, Yaakov Kerpel got so much money, 150 rubles. He paid off his debts. And he started buying more merchandise. And he started selling it. And he, in a very short period of time, became very rich. He sold and sold and sold. He made a lot of money and became very rich. And then, less than a year later, his wife became pregnant and she had a baby boy. And they named him Yosef Yitzchak. And this Yosef Yitzchak became a very, very tzaddik, a big goen. He became the Rosh Hashiva in the city of Vitebsk and um, became one of the Talmudim of the Baal Shem Tov.